just want to share seven observations about prayer uh, from those four verses we just read. Um, it's interesting, the previous section in Romans, Paul has laid out his plans to the church at Rome that included uh, delivering that offering that he was gathering for the poor saints of Jerusalem. He wanted to finish that first. Then he planned to make his way to them. And then he desired that they would be, uh, that they would serve like a, a ministry outpost on his way to Spain. So his desire was to extend his missionary endeavors uh, farther west than he had ever gone. In fact, to the farthest reaches of the western part of the, uh, of the Roman Empire. And right after laying out those plans, he then enlists their prayers. And so the first observation that I would mention is, is right on the surface, and it's very simple, but it's actually very important, and that is the need for prayer. Uh, he urges them, verse 30, I urge you, or I exhort you, you could say. Um, I appeal to you, you might say. Brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayer. See, he asks them for prayer support. So Paul is mindful not only of his own need to pray, but he is absolutely convinced that he needs others to pray for him at the same time. And this is one of the evidences that we really understand that prayer is real, that God hears them and that he answers them and that they are a means that he has chosen by which he will work. Not only will we be mindful of the need that we have to pray, but we'll, we'll be enlisting others to pray with us and for us. So the need for prayer. The second thing I want you to notice is the motivation for prayer. He gives three there in verse 30. One is implicit. The other two are explicit. Implicitly, he points to a motivation for prayer by his use of the word brothers or brethren. He's not asking just anybody to pray for him or with him. He's asking his brothers, asking those who actually stand on praying ground, but he's, he's asking his spiritual family uh, to pray for him. There's a, there's a loyalty that belongs to family love. And if we really love the family of God, then we pray for the family of God. If we really love our brothers and sisters, then we pray for our brothers and sisters. So by mentioning that they are his brothers, there is that implicit motivation on their part to do what he asks for to join him in prayer. But he mentions two explicit reasons, by our Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that little uh, preposition, dia, it, it could be translated through or by. And it seems in this context to carry with it the idea of authority. I mean, it, this is more than just a casual request for prayer. He's actually binding them to this request by the authority of Christ himself. This is something that Jesus would be pleased with. This is something that Christ would want you to do. So it's by our Savior that I'm asking you to pray for me or exhorting you, appealing to you to pray for me. And I would just remind us that prayer is a matter for obedience. I mean, it's, it's not just a good thing to do. It's not just something we should do. It's something we're actually bound by the will of Christ himself to do on behalf of others. And then he mentions a third motivation when he says, by the love of the Spirit. Every believer has received the Spirit of God, and we're told in the book of Romans that he has poured out God's love in our hearts. So if we have the Spirit, we have love for God's family. I mean, you, you could put it as simply as this. Don't you love the church? Don't you love the work of the gospel? Don't you love um, lost souls? 
by the love that we've received from the Spirit of God. It's explained by the Spirit of God. I exhort you, I appeal to you to pray for me. So if we need motivation today, let us be motivated by family love. Let us be motivated by the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be motivated by the love poured out in our hearts by the Spirit of God. Third observation, the need for prayer, the motivation for prayer. Third, notice the difficulty of it. The difficulty of it. He says to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. And that word strive is a form of the word agonizomai. Uh, you can hear in it the word agony. Um, there, there's a sense in which prayer is a wrestling. It's a, it's a difficult thing. It, it takes discipline and devotion. Uh, we can say prayer is not easy. Sometimes prayer is work. There are those occasional meetings, like Stephen mentioned a moment ago, where the Lord comes down, as it were, and time flies, and it's easy, almost. It, it's extremely pleasurable, there are going to be times in our lives, brethren, when prayer is a matter of, of discipline. Our flesh wants to escape it. Uh, we've hit the high points on the list, and, and we, would, we would gladly put it into it right there. And yet, sometimes we haven't even begun to pray. Uh, prayer begins when we're there, so to speak, when we're actually there. Um, and it's not perfunctory, and it's not just hitting, you know, checking the boxes on our list of requests. We're aware of the presence of God and, and our hearts are engaged. And that takes, that takes striving. Notice also uh, the, the, the partnership of prayer in verse 30. This is the fourth observation. Prayers of partnership strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. So Paul's already praying about these things. He's enlisting them to join with him in this prayer work. And prayer is one of those rare ministries where we have the privilege to participate no, ma no matter where we are. So, for example, this morning, my, my brother uh, Samra, who's in Jordan, is on my mind. I can't be there with him today to help him teach pastors about preaching. Um, it's day here. It's evening time there. But I can pray for him. And in that way, I can participate. I can actually and truly and really participate in his work. Um, on the other side of the planet. And if, if Paul did not believe that these prayers actually proved to be effectual, he would have never asked for them. Uh, remember, he's never visited Rome to this point in terms of a ministry visit. So many of these people are unknown to him. Uh, he's going to go to a list in chapter 16. He knows a lot of these people, but most of this church, he doesn't know face to face. And yet he's calling upon people whom he doesn't know well, at least we can say, to join with him in his work on their knees. So we have that same privilege, the partnership of prayer. If we were to ask how can prayer actually help somebody, well, you see the assistance of prayer in verses 31 and 32. This is the sort of, of, of stuff that prayer affects he says, here's what I'm asking you to pray for, that I may be rescued, verse 31, from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Uh, three things he asks for, really, three things he sees their prayers accomplishing. One, his safety. 
that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. He's very much aware of Jewish opposition, unbelieving Jewish opposition to his ministry. And he understands he's in danger. Remember, as he's making his way back to Jerusalem, he's, he's running into these prophecies every step of the way. You can read about this in the book of Acts where he's being warned that if he returns to Jerusalem, it's going to be an imprisonment and suffering and all of this. And, and he hears it. He's prepared for that. He's going nonetheless. And so he asks for them to pray that he would be delivered. Their prayers proved effectual, but in a way he didn't envision. If you remember, he's, he's accosted in the temple uh, area. The Jews have him. They're beating him. They're about to kill him when the Romans intervene and he is delivered uh, into Roman custody and then eventually makes his way to Rome as a prisoner. So their prayers are answered perhaps in a way that Paul doesn't envision, <laughs> but the prayers proved to be effectual. He was delivered. Second thing they can contribute to, he says that that uh, his service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. He's concerned that this offering could be wrongly interpreted. Paul has been slandered as saying that if you come to Christ as a Jewish person, you've got to jettison, you've got to put away every form of your Jewish heritage. That's not true. That's not what he preached, but that was what was rumored. And so he was afraid that as he's gathering these offerings from predominantly Gentile churches, that the church in Jerusalem might actually find it hard to accept the offering because of the potential that they would be identified with the slander concerning Paul. So he's praying that all of this would be well-received, that the, met, the theological emphasis on display in this offering, which is Jew-Gentile in one body in Christ, would be understood and rightly received. Would you pray for this, he's saying, that, that, that my ministry to these saints would actually prove to be what I desire for it to be? Would you pray for this? And the result would be, verse 32, that he would eventually end up in Rome with great joy. That's what he desires, that he would be delivered safely, that the offering would be well-received, that everything that he's hoped for and planned for would come to pass. This would, in his mind, this would represent great joy in their presence. And having the benefit that we do of knowing the rest of the story, he does end up in Rome. And there is a joyful reception, but he ends up there as a prisoner. So it, it, it went different than he envisioned, but their prayers proved effectual nonetheless. So this, this is how our prayers participate, at least three ways that they can participate in the ministry of others, their safety, their service, and then ultimately their satisfaction that God would desire, that, uh, that God would fulfill the desires of their hearts. Six observation, notice the submissiveness of prayer. He puts all of this under the umbrella of the will of God so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God. He is always mindful that everything he's praying for is subject to God's will. I love this, though, and this is a great word for us on prayer, I think, a great reminder. Paul, absolutely convinced of God's sovereignty, absolutely convinced that ultimately this, the secret will of God or the hidden will of God would be put on display through providence. I mean, what happens is going to reveal what God destined from the 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 foundation of the earth, and yet it doesn't paralyze his prayer life. He still feels absolutely free to offer these requests that he believes are in accordance with the will of God, and, and in no way does it restrict uh, what he asks for or how he prays. I love that, and, and the same is true with us. We are free to ask for things that are desires of our hearts that accord with Scripture, but all the while we ask for these things submitting these desires to God's will, knowing that he's perfectly wise, absolutely good, 
and whatever turns out to be will be right. So it shouldn't restrict us. It should release us to just pour out, pour out our hearts to God with things that are in accordance with his word. Uh, final observation, notice the mutuality of prayer because he ends this with a prayer wish for them. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And even in that final prayer wish, there's an indication of really what's on his mind and heart because what he longs for is the unity of the Lord's church, Jew and Gentile. And he identifies our God, could have identified him in so many different ways, but he identifies him as the God of peace. And he says, may he be with you all. Uh, perhaps even in his mind, the idea of Jews and Gentiles in the same fellowship may be with you all, the God of peace. And so just as we're asking others to pray for us, we are praying for them. There is this mutuality of prayer. We need prayer. There are biblical motivations for prayer. It's difficult. So we have to strive together in it. There's a partnership in it. There's actual, it's effectual. Uh, there's an assistance that is offered as we pray. We're always submissive in it. And we pray one for another. There's a mutuality of blessing and benefit. So may the Lord encourage our hearts today as we pray with the knowledge that prayer matters. Here's the great apostle, and he's absolutely convinced that prayer makes a difference.